Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. It is a very, very familiar story of when the lame man was healed. And so I thought I'd at least get a Sunday school teacher that would say they knew what was going on, that we might need to do a Sunday school conference here real quick. Uh, If I don't have any Sunday school teachers know what's going on in Acts chapter number three. Amen. Acts chapter number three, starting with verse number one, the Bible says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. He gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him amen tonight we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and I want to speak to us tonight from lying to leaping lying not in the sense of telling a lie but lying as in the sense of a horizontal position all right from lying to leaping amen this evening let's pray together father i love you here tonight i pray oh god that you have to help us the lord jesus in this service god i pray oh lord that god every distraction god can be minimized father god help us the lord to set our minds and our affection lord upon you in the next little while lord as we look at the word of the lord god read and god hear the word god spoken into our lives it will help us God, strengthen us in our walk and our relationship with you. God, we'll thank you and we'll praise you, God, for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name, the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Amen. Acts 1 through 8 kind of carries the tone uh, of being a narrative, and we have done some of those in the past whenever we did our series on the book of Daniel. There were certain portions of the scripture there that was basically a story or a narrative, and there is no really way to approach this than simply telling the story in a certain uh, way and then just commenting as we go through. But if you'll allow me to introduce this tonight, in Acts chapter number 2, we were told after the Spirit had been poured out on the day of Pentecost that in verse 43 of Acts 2, that there were many, there were many wonders and signs that were done by the apostles after that. And so while there were many, the Scripture says, describes it as many, miracles that were done many perhaps to be able to be told in detail Uh, we read in Acts chapter number three that this one particular of the many is shared with you and I and so in Acts three this is the first recorded miracle that has been shared with us since Pentecost since Pentecost the first recorded miracle since Pentecost and so the Lord is continuing to do his work uh, not just through Christ, but he is also continuing it to do it through his apostles. Those that believe on him and have received his spirit, he continues to work through them. As a matter of fact, in John chapter number 14, verses 10 through 12, this is prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is prior to his ascension. He has a conversation with uh, particularly two of his disciples, one by the name of Thomas and the other one by the name of Philip. The Bible states these words, Jesus speaking. He says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words, everybody say words, 
the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, Jesus says. But the Father that dwelleth in me, notice, he doeth the, everybody say, works. And so there's something that Jesus is relaying concerning his words and his works that very works say. He says in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And so he sets some things up here that the, the works that you see I do is really God doing the work through me, Christ is saying. But he goes on to say that there will be a day and an hour that if you believe on me, he said, you're going to do the works that I am currently doing, even greater works than I'm doing right now you're going to do because I have went to my Father. In other words, that I have ascended. And Christ has already done that in Acts. He has already ascended into the heavens. So Jesus told his disciples that his words were his Father's words or God's words, and his works were his Father's works or God's works. And he was basically telling them, if nothing else certifies that I am God manifested in the flesh living among you as Jesus Christ then my works should certify that I am God because Jesus knew that his works agreed with his words amen the, the, the people had a hard time it would seem in his earthly ministry they had a hard time accepting his words and so he basically told them if you don't believe my words then for crying out loud, please believe my works. You must believe my works. And I'm going to reach back to a few weeks before. If you'll remember, Isaiah prophesied of a time that Israel's God would come and he described what would be happening, some of the things that would occur that would be proof in the pudding, so to speak, that their God had showed up. He stated... In Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6, Isaiah prophesied of a day when God would come. He said, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then, when that God comes, verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then shall the lame man leap as an heart, which is heart as a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Isaiah prophesied and said there's a day coming in the future when blind eyes are going to be opened. You're going to see the miracles of the dumb speaking, and you'll witness a day of the lame being healed and walking. The deaf will hear, and when you see that, you can know without any doubt or reservation that your God has come among you. And so Jesus is just telling them, if you don't believe, if you don't believe my words, he says, then believe my works because you've seen me open blinded eyes. You've seen me restore hearing to those who could not hear, speaking to those that could not speak. And if you will, the ability to walk to those who could not walk. So if you don't believe my words that I am the God that Isaiah spoke of, let my works uh, confirm it to you because no one would be able to do this except God be in him or at least God be with him. And someone say amen. amen. And so Jesus told Thomas and Philip back in John 14 that if they believed the works that he did, they would do also. He said, if you believe, he said, you'll do the same works that I did because I will have ascended or have went to my father. The healing of the lame man in Acts chapter number three is nothing more but evidence of what God spoke, what Christ spoke back in John, that they, if they believed after the Lord ascended, that they would do some of the very same works that he had done. Why? Because they will have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost that had been with them that spirit that would have been with them now would be in them. And that same spirit that was in Christ was in them. And the same spirit that caused works and words to come from the man, Jesus Christ, words and works would come from the people, the apostles, the disciples, those that have been born again of the water and of the spirit. And so this is nothing more, Acts 3, evidence that God is working with his people and among his people. And if nothing else, it also 
it also certifies the words that they spoke. The message, the sermons, the preaching that they did, it certifies their words because perhaps like Jesus, their works would do the certification, amen, for their life. And you see that time and time again. Uh, Christ told them that he would confirm their word with signs and wonders and miracles following. He would give confirmation to his word by the works that they would do that would be so similar, if not the same and even greater than the works that he had done. So not only in Scripture in Acts 3 do we see that this miracle drew a crowd because it did. You want to find a crowd? Listen, if there's a something going on and there's a meeting taking place where people are starting to have miracles take place in their life and healings, I guarantee if it started out with a handful on night one, by the time night five gets there, there are going to be a bunch of people there that probably even don't have a seat to sit because everybody's ready, ready to see a miracle or a sign or a wonder someone that had been diagnosed with cancer not having cancer anymore, seeing a shriveled hand come forward, someone not being able to walk to walk again. Man, that draws a crowd draws a crowd but the miracles in scripture were to do more than just draw a crowd they were to give credence to the message they were to give support and confirmation to the word that the apostles preached after the crowd was gathered it was more than just having people come together but hoping that they would come together for the purpose when these, all these people got together that wasn't here aforetime now the man of God could open the word of God and share from them the, the bread of heaven and the word of life or their, their, their souls. And so a miracle, and this is important for us today, folks. Do miracles still take place? Yes. They do. The day of miracles is not over. Miracles still take place. We could have testimony right now with people, either yourself or you know someone who has had an absolute confirmed miracle in their life. I could start telling stories. But a miracle that was used solely for drawing a crowd and never for sharing the gospel is unbiblical. Hear me? A miracle used for the purpose of just drawing the crowd and never sharing the word or the gospel is not biblical because the works, the miracle, should always substantiate or agree with the word. Amen. You better run for your life if someone, all they proclaim is that they have a miracle ministry. And there's never any word associated with the miracles. Because Jesus himself said that his works, there's going to be a substantiation agreement between my works and my word. And it's for this reason that we will see that Peter will take the opportunity to preach to the people after they have gathered around this grand happening of the lame man walking. He's going to preach to them. And it's a very similar message to what he preached on the day of Pentecost. As a matter of fact, the whole scenario is quite similar. There's something just extravagant that happens. First, it was those that received the Holy Ghost, and that was noise abroad, and people gathered, and there's amazement, there's doubting, there's wonder. In this, someone has been healed of their lameness. A crowd gathers, and look what's going on again. There's emotions of amazement that are present again. But even on the day of Pentecost, there's a misunderstanding. They're thinking, are these people, these people are drunk. Peter says, no, it's the third hour of the day. There's a misunderstanding in Acts chapter number three because these people ain't sure if this healing has taken place by the hands of Peter and John, right. if it's been by their own power. So Peter's gonna have to address all of these things. But ultimately, Peter is going to lead them to their recognition, and this is what he did on Acts 2. He's going to lead them to their recognition that they are guilty sinners. Uh-huh. And then when he gets them to the place that they'll accept that they're a sinner, he's going to turn around and offer them hope on how to get up out of their sin. Any good message is going to take us to a place understanding that we're all sinners and turn around and give us a hope, a way out. Amen. And so he's going to give them a hope, a way out, and he'll talk to them about repentance and conversion and times of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. And so when we open up the scriptures here in Acts 3, that was my introduction. When we open up the scriptures in Acts 3, Peter and John have a long history together. They are now on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. But Peter and John have a long history with each other. They both have similar backgrounds. They have both in the past been fishermen. At one particular time in their lives, they were 
partners in fishing at one time. They were, they were partners in fishing. They were both a part of what was called or known that inner circle of disciples of Peter, James, and John that seen some things uh, as they went with the Lord that none of the other disciples uh, saw. Uh, some of the raising of the dead, the Mount of Transfiguration occurrences happened only with Peter and James and John, but there's Peter and John again. They're both a part of that inner circle and they witnessed some of these things that none of the other disciples had witnessed. And both of these men were around for the trial of the Lord. If you'll remember when he was taken from the garden, the Bible says all of the disciples fled. There was not one left. All of them fled, but somewhere along the way, John had joined himself back up with the Lord and was there along the journey and during the trial. And then there was Peter too, but he was a little distance further away, you remember. He followed the Lord from afar off during the trial. Amen. And so then we understand though, after Pentecost here in Acts 3, we see both these men together again going up to the temple. The Bible says they went up. I say went up they went up now this was not like an isolated prayer time an isolated time that Peter and John decided just to go to the temple to pray the phrase went up in the Greek language is in what's called the imperfect tense which means it's a continuous action in other words this is something that they did often this is something that they did continuously in other words they frequented the temple probably really frequently on the hours of prayer that the Jews had to go to the temple to pray. It was a common practice of theirs, in other words, to go to the temple to pray at the hours of prayer. The hours of prayer were normally the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. Uh, the Jewish day usually starts 6 o'clock in the morning, ended 6 o'clock at night. And so the third hour was, was our 9 a.m., the 6, our 12 uh, noon and then the, 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 the ninth hour of the day being 3 p.m. So 3 p.m. they're going up to the temple because it's the time of prayer and they're going. Not only that, but what we see in Acts 3 being played out, if you remember from a few lessons ago, there were some things that the apostles were steadfast and they continued steadfastly in. If you remember, it was doctrine, primarily fellowship and prayer. And if you look right here, them being together and also going to prayer just shows us that they did, in fact, continue steadfastly in those things because two of those areas of fellowship and prayer, they're continuing in in Acts chapter number 3. And the Bible says there's a lame man that is laid daily at the temple gate. And this lame man, note the scripture, we do not know his name. You'll read some people and they kind of conjure up a name, but he's not given a name at all he's a nameless man the Bible simply calls him a certain man lame amen and although none of us here tonight I don't think so none of us may be lame at least not in the sense of being crippled you might be lame otherwise <laughs> sorry never mind but anyway although although none of us may be lame what this does when it says a certain man lame it lends to us as a reader to just assume that you know, the lame man could be any of us. You know how it is when it, there, and even sometimes when a name is given, but when there, it's just no name given, it, it just lends us to, as we're reading that, just to believe, you know what? That, that could be any of us. Any one of us could have been born a cripple. Any one of us could have been born in a lame state. And before tonight's over, I believe in some ways we all have been born in that state. But the, but the, the peculiar aspect of this lame man is that he has been that way since birth he's never been able to walk he never went to a stage of his infancy where he was toggling around and you know touching calves and mules and stuff to get his balance in the tent or around the house he never had a stage of learning how to walk there is no point even of contrast in his past that he can go back to and say you know what I remember when no he doesn't have that he has no ability to do that he had to depend on others daily to carry him to the temple gate beautiful and lay him there and it's there at the temple that he asked for alms of them the Bible said that entered the temple there's something I want you to realize here this lame man's then livelihood his life has been hinged then on those that enter the temple. Every day he's brought there. 
Every day he asked of alms, not for those that are around the temple, but for those that are entering in. So his life is dependent on those that enter into the temple. As a matter of fact, he's grown dependent upon this for in excess of 40 years. We read in Acts 4.22 that this man was above 40 years old. For in excess of 40 years, he's been dependent, watch me here, on other people's faithfulness to the temple to be of some help to him. Now, he went to the temple as a beggar, as some would say. There were three locations that beggars normally went to uh, during this day. We see them uh, spoken of in Scripture. One of them was the rich man's gate. You'll remember that in Luke 16, not just meaning there's one rich man, but a, a common place you'd find beggars is at the gate of somebody that was rich, all right? Another location you would find beggars was on a highway that was leaving the city. Remember Bartimaeus? He was out there on a highway as he's leaving the city. And the third place would be at a gate of the temple. And it's at this location, I think this is important, amen, tonight, at this location of being at the gate of the temple, the two great commandments of the law are proven right here with this man being at the gate of the temple. Because look, as people are coming to enter into the temple to love God, beggars are trying their love for humanity. Whenever, what, what happened whenever they asked the Lord, Lord, what are the two, what are the greatest commandments in all the law? He said, well, the greatest is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two hang all of the commandments. And so that was being tried right here at the gate of the temple. They're on their way to the temple to pray and to love God, but there's also a beggar's there, stationed there, seeing if they will have the love for mankind. Now, in order for what I'm about ready to say to work here, getting warm I got wires all over me and it's just a mess in order for what I getting ready to say to work here you got to be transparent and honest with me now if you're not you can be dismissed no I'm joking um, you listen to me you don't normally look at a beggar if you don't intend on doing something let me put it better this way if somebody is seeking money even if they're at the four-way stop out here, huh? <laughs> if you don't intend on contributing, you don't stare them in the eyes. You hearing me? I, I'm, just, I'm just talking about a thread of humanity here, most including myself. You're going to look somewhere else if you have no intentions of giving. My wife and I, through travel, sometimes we've been in large cities. We've walked in downtown areas where there's been a lot of homeless. I mean, a lot of homeless people. And, they're, they're, and there's no way I had enough money to take care of them all, okay? And so those points in time, there was no, <laughs> you couldn't give anymore. It's not that I made contact with whoever they were. I contact with them because I didn't, I wasn't going to do no contribution. I didn't have no giving left to be given. And so you don't make eye contact because why? Why do we do that? Because we're afraid what? If we make eye contact, what are you afraid of? What is that, Mike? Yeah, guilty or what else? You're afraid that they might expect something. If you are giving any type of eye contact, right? And yet in all of this, here is this lame man. And the Bible says that Peter with John fastened their eyes on him. Right? They fast their eyes on them. Now, you don't do that unless you intend on doing something. I mean, I know it can be rude not looking, but if you're looking, staring, and you pass on by, man, that just kind of raised the ante, you know. So they fastened their eyes on him, so no doubt that perked his interest somewhat. But then, if that wasn't enough, Peter pipes up and says to the lame man, Look on us! Now, what is going through your mind if you are in the position of the lame man and you are asking alms and someone's staring you down and then all of a sudden says, look on us. I mean, like the mother load is coming. You know what? I'm going to have to have my relatives bring a wheelbarrow in order to get the alms back home that I'm going to get today. I mean, because if, if, if just looking at him didn't already raise his attention, now, and his hope, now demanding his attention for sure would get his attention and, and maybe think, man, today's a game changer. I might be able to take tomorrow off. You know, this, 
it's going to be all right. And the Bible says the lame man expected something. For that matter, I believe he probably was expecting something along the lines of what he asked for. The Bible says he asked for alms. And it was going to be good, he knew, because these two were looking at him and they wanted his attention. And so then we read the simple verses, verses four and verses five. Let me just read them real quick. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. There we go. And he gave heed unto them. Look, you better believe it. Expecting to receive something of them. The simple truth is this. Peter said, look on us. And the man was expecting to receive something. Right? When you advertise, look on us, people are going to expect something. And the tragedy is when we advertise falsely and have nothing to offer. What are you saying? The tragedy is when we say, look on us, but we don't have anything to offer. Amen. Because you're dealing with somebody in a very fragile predicament right here. They are in need of something. And to grasp their attention by staring at them and even command their attention and then not have anything. It's a great tragedy for that individual that's in need of something. I'm sure the lame man probably thought he had been had when the first words out of Peter's mouth was, silver and gold, have I none? That is not the first words you want to hear when someone's been staring at you and said, look at me, and you've asked for alms, and them say, silver and gold, have I none? I think this guy, I, you think I got problems. This guy got some problems too. Silver and gold, have I none? Listen to me. Peter could not give the man what he asked for. Couldn't give the man what he asked for, but Peter said, but such as I have, give I thee. What I'm saying tonight is this. The concept is this. We cannot give or offer people what we do not have ourselves. I say that again. We cannot give or offer people something we do not have ourselves. Peter says, silver and gold, I, have, I can't give that to you because I don't have that. We cannot give them something we do not have ourselves. And so when we look at this, I'm asking myself the question, and no doubt others would as well. The lame man is asking for, for alms, and I always got to say this, it always comes to my mind. The old joke is he was asking for alms, but he needed legs. <laughs> but why? I'm sorry. Why didn't the lame man ask for healing? Asking for alms, why didn't he why didn't he ask for healing? No doubt he may have heard of occurrences of other people being healed. He was in the temple area. I know from the gospels there were people in the temple area that had been healed in the past leading up to this time. Why didn't he ask for healing? You know, and this is just my personal reflection. I don't think the lame man asked for healing because he didn't think it was possible, at least for him. Hmm? Because there are a lot of people concerning God and what God does for others that they'll think that he would do that for anybody else except me. He would heal anybody else except me. He would save or forgive everybody else of their sin, but, mm -hmm, but me. Because, see, this is the way I've been since birth. This is the way that I have been born into this world. Nobody knows, really, the real crippled condition of my body like me. And nothing has ever changed, and nothing per se to him and never said it could be changed. So I believe he didn't ask for healing because he didn't think it was possible for him. And then Peter says, silver and gold have I none. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Right? Rise up and walk. And it's here that we see some, some very typical things 
about healing or more so about miracles in the New Testament. And I just want to point these two things out just very quickly. Whenever Peter spoke to him, Peter commanded this lame man to do the very thing he could not do. You've heard me say this before. But this is, this is a common thread of miracles in Scripture. When miracles took place, often the one that was being used of God or even Christ himself asked the person to do the very thing that they could not do. He commanded the man to rise up and walk. Lame from birth. He could not do that, but Peter commanded it. Secondly, look now, Peter helped place this man in a position to obey. He grabbed a hold of him and started pulling him up before the miracle ever happened. He started pulling him up in the upright position before the miracle ever happened. The Bible says he lifted him up. And note, when Peter helped lift him up, in the process of doing that, he is lifting up a lame man. I'm sure that wasn't a very easy task of lifting a man up in a position that didn't even could maybe have any recognition and feel that he had legs for that matter or even be able to use them properly. It wasn't that he was paralyzed but couldn't even use them properly. But Peter is lifting him up and in the process when Peter lifted him up this man was still lame but when they agreed uh-huh, when the man was suited to try to do what he couldn't do and Peter tried to help him do what he couldn't do, when they agreed and attempted what they both knew he could not do, then it happened. The Bible says immediately. Strength came into his ankle bones and his legs immediately. This is just a teaching on the side, but if you ever come forth for healing or prayer, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to try to do what you cannot do. Uh-huh. I'm I'm in the scriptures. I'm in the Bible tonight. If it's if you're wanting God to touch your shoulder because you you could never raise your hand beyond here, then you need to stretch and see if you can get it up above here. And if two or three agree touching anything, it shall be done. Amen. And so it happened immediately. Amen. And so there may though have been some conflicting thoughts going through this lame man's this lame man's head because whenever he heard what Peter said that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth there could have been some conflicting thoughts because surely no doubt he's heard of Jesus but he's also heard of this place Nazareth as well see Nazareth is that place that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to because Herod sought to kill him and so Jesus was brought up and spent many of his younger days in Nazareth. The greater part of his life, uh, for that matter, was spent in Nazareth. Jesus had even taught in the synagogues at Nazareth. And so he wasn't a stranger to Nazareth at all. And it's even amazing to consider that such an individual as Jesus would even be associated with Nazareth. Because Nazareth wasn't very highly esteemed. Amen. It wasn't held very highly by the people of its day. It was a somewhat secluded place, Nazareth was. It was an isolated place. It lied in a basin or a very lowly area. It had a rather bad reputation uh, in morals and religion. Nazareth was looked at as a city that was full of wickedness. And so it's almost a conflict of, uh, of the mind and interest to think that Jesus Christ could even come from a place called Nazareth. Even, even whenever Philip had first met Jesus Christ and he went to speak to Nathaniel and said, Nathaniel, we, we found the one, we found him, the one that Moses had spoke about, the one that the prophets did write of and prophesy about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Even Nathaniel in that point of time responded. He said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth because it has all these connotations of wickedness and bad morals and, and so no doubt the man's mind is on the Nazareth but at the same time he heard that name Jesus amen now listen if Acts 4 tells us that the lame man was above 40 years old then you got to think about this that he was probably then a young lame kid when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
He spent his days at 33, about half years upon the earth. Mm -hmm. All these other happenings after his death, burial, and resurrection, right? He many infallible proofs for 40 days, right? Pentecost was the 50th day thereafter. Uh-huh, right? Amen, the Holy Ghost fell. All this is happening in very close proximity to one another. Amen, so it's, it's quite possible that this lame man was just a young, young kid whenever Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And no doubt, probably throughout his life, he may have heard about this Jesus. No doubt, certainly, maybe more in, in more recent years, he could have he could not have escaped the news of of Jesus and all everything that have happened concerning this one that died and and, and was alive and and had resurrected. But 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 here it is. Since he was at this temple gate, which was a common place, he had sat there each day. The Bible says daily. It was just constantly he was there. He probably. I say this with great, I think, scriptural basis. He probably at some time had even seen Jesus. Because later in verse 11 of Acts 3, Peter addresses the crowd with the lame man there, and they're gathered, the Bible says, on the porch which is Solomon's. And back in John 10, 23, the Bible records that Jesus had walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. It is quite possible that this lame man had even seen Jesus before they had crossed paths before. Nevertheless, the man would have to correlate the name Jesus with being the one who he knew healed sickness and disease, rebuked unclean spirits, and they went away. And no doubt that alone, hearing the name Jesus when Peter spoke that, could have very easily helped that man's faith because of what he knew had been done in other people's lives by this individual. And, and uh, this came to me in just the past couple of days and it blew my mind to really consider it. We look, a lame man being healed. Man, that is miraculous. A lame man being healed. But when I think that he's a lame man that's been lame from birth, again, he has no background where he walked before in his entire life. So listen, whenever he was healed of his lameness, not only, not, he not only walked, but acquired the knowledge in a moment on how to balance and move without any previous tries or teaching. Do you... That blows my mind. I think sometimes, you know, kids, sometimes it takes a while. You know, several days and attempts and tries to get this walking thing down. Folks, it would be no different for a man his first time trying to walk, having never walked before. But the miracle of God is that he doesn't leave anything undone. It was so great that not only was he given the ability to walk, the knowledge and everything he needed that he missed in his childhood to learn how, he gave to him in the moment and he walked. Not only walked, he leaped. I know kids, they start walking in and they get their leaping too. I don't think this guy was just, I think this guy was leaping, leaping enough that it drew a crowd. This is such a, a, a just wonderful miracle. And if it's not enough, as I said, the Bible says that he was leaping. Amen. And no doubt people must then remember Isaiah's words, how the Bible spoke that their God would come and that the lame man shall leap as a heart. No heart, heart. No doubt all this is coming back to them. And so when we see this, the, the first place this man went, look, the first place this man went after his miracle was in the temple. Like Bishop said, he was not able prior to this to go into the temple because of his lameness, because of being crippled. The law would not allow it. The best he could do was on the outside of the temple. But after his miracle, he went into the temple. Now look what happens here. So he transitions from being stationary. You know, if you don't have the aid of others, that's what he's doing. He's stationary unless he's crawling with his elbows. He's stationary. He's lame. And now he's to a place he's been liberated. He's got freedom to move. And, and this transition is witnessed perhaps best in his actions because clearly what he normally could not 
do, now he did. And what he used to do, he didn't do anymore. In other words, he didn't have this miracle just occur and then go sit down on the ground where he was formerly sitting and start asking for alms again. No, because there had been a change of condition in his life. From lame to now with the ability to walk, there was a miracle that took place in his life. So now he says, I'm going to do what I formerly have not been able to do, and I'm going to quit doing what I used to have to do. Laying there was put up on him by what he was born into. But now that that is through, I'm going to do what I couldn't do and quit doing what I could do. Amen. There's a new condition, a new way of life for him. And so he went into the temple and he praised God. That is a great response to a miracle. I've seen people get healed of cancer and go back to tobacco. We're in that sandpaper, Lord, help us. Amen. I realize tonight that this, this is a real story recorded here in Acts chapter number 3 real story it's not necessarily recorded here as as an allegory which allegory is nothing more but a, a concrete things that has some type of spiritual meaning I realize that's not the purpose of this story it is a very real story but I believe we could parallel this story to every person sitting under the sound of my voice tonight because we have all been born crippled by sin if you will we've all made our entry with a handicap called sin in this life and our condition has kept us. When you're a sinner, you, you by and large stay away from the temple, on the outside of the temple. You don't want to go there. And what we are asking for, have, have been searching for, is really not what we need. What the lame man was asking for alms is not really what he needed. We found ourselves in that place before too. There's people searching and looking for something, but it's not really the something that they need. And he had that moment when somebody displayed interest in him, and thank God we had that as well. Amen. And when that happened, he expected something, and we expected something. But ultimately, we've been made whole. Everybody says whole. We've been made whole by the power in the name of Jesus, and now we praise him for what he has done. And so since our condition has been changed, our living should be as well. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible tonight, here this evening, this passage. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 2 in the Amplified, it says, so since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, for you, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. See, Christ suffered for us. He said, then basically with the same mind, you're going to go through some suffering too. And you would rather suffer than you would fail God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, that happens whenever salvation, that mind gets in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God. Verse 2, so that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living by his human appetites and desires, but he lives for what God wills. The crux of the scripture is what I've already said. A change in the condition brought about a change in his life. He wasn't going to go back and do what he had done before. What was forced upon him before, he was going to live in the liberty and the freedom of this change of condition in his life. Now note, the Bible tells us that all the people saw, all the people saw this layman. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. All the people saw him walk in praise God. Look at verse 10. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate. All these people saw him and they knew it was the man that had formerly been sitting at the gate of the temple. And you look at the reaction. The Bible says they, they, they were in wonder and that they were amazed. There was wonder and amazement upon them. Now Peter's going to use that to his favor. 
In a very literal sense, Peter is going to use this as a springboard to start his sermon from. He's, he's going to use their amazement on what they're amazed over and what they're amazed over that happened to this slain man. And he's going to tell them how it happened. He's going to tell them when was Jesus. And he's going to take them, honey, he's going to start back in the back and bring them down the road. How, once again, they're guilty for taking this Christ that had the power to do what he just did. And he's going to, he's going to take them right down the road. And we'll get that next week. He's going to talk to them about Jesus. But that's a literal level. But on a figurative level tonight, look now, on a figurative level. So these people saw him, praising God, saw him now as he was, but knew that he was the one that used to be a beggar that was lame in a different condition. So on a figurative level, hear me very plainly, I won't hold you much longer. A good indication of the change in your life is when people that knew you formerly are bewildered and baffled at what has happened in your life. Good indication a good indication of a changed condition is the, when the people that used to know you are saying, what has happened to you? Why don't you da-da-da? What about they can see, they can witness, and they're baffled by and bewildered by what has happened in your life? And here is a little footnote for us. It should never we should never allow that process to stop. Amen. Never allow that process to stop. What, what are you saying? I'm saying, well, you get the Spirit of God, no doubt there's going to be automatically just a change, maybe even of your attitude or disposition because of that. But there are other things in your life. You should never allow that process to stop. Case in point, the lame man could have stood. The healing could have came. He said, arise. He could have rose, and when it did, when he helped lift him, that said immediately everything happened. The man could have stood, and that would have been evidence that a change of condition had happened. But he didn't leave it there. He started walking. That just further confirmed the change condition that this man had. And he could have left it at that, but he didn't stop there. He started leaping. And when he started leaping, I'm speechless. You know, I mean, I'm speechless. I mean, if the guy just stood there when he's been there for 40 years and never stood, I'm there already. I'm like, wow. And then you got this guy then walking, hello. And now he's leaping. There's a lot of 40-year-old guys that wouldn't be able to leave. Amen. That was above 40. But he's leaping. I am speechless. What is that? That's a proof that he didn't just let the change stop in a, in a certain spot and say, that's good enough. No, there was a progression. He was going to go from standing to walking to leaping. Honey, I, we don't have other record of him in Scripture, but he may have been running somewhere along the line. Maybe, maybe he started some exercise class out in the desert among the camels. I don't know. But what I'm saying is he didn't let the process stop. Change condition for our lives coming from our crippled state that we were born in, enslaved by sin, being renewed. It's great to have the Spirit of God come into our lives, but don't let the process of that change. Don't go back and go do what you were enslaved to do prior to the change of condition in your life. And I'll close with these scriptures if you'll stand with me. I'm reading, continuing in 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 5. Now I'm going to throw the Living Bible here at you, all right, tonight. Amen. 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 5. The Bible states these words, continuing. He says, You have had enough in the past of the evil things the godless enjoy. Sex, sin, lust, getting drunk, wild parties, drinking bouts, the worship of idols and other terrible sins. Verse 4, of course, your former friends will be very surprised when you don't eagerly join them anymore in the wicked things they do. They will laugh at you in contempt and scorn. But just remember, 
they must face the judge of all, living and dead. They will be punished for the way they have lived. What the scripture is saying? Saying after you have that change in your life, you're not, you're not going to do some of the things, some of the way in which the activity that you involved yourself in is not going to be like it used to be because of your change of condition. And you might get some slack from those that knew you aforetime. But here is where the rubber meets the road. You don't have to answer to them in judgment. You along with they all is going to have to answer to the, jo the judge that will judge the living and he will resurrect the dead to judge them as well. And we'll all get our due reward. Do you understand how flimsy it is to live your life in subjection to another human when they will have no say over your eternity? Boy, it's a weak platform to stand on. It's a weak platform that you would even do things for yourself when yourself cannot determine your eternity as far as good enough, bad enough, so and so. That it's going to be determined in the hands of a righteous and a just God. I would think that I one would do those things that are pleasing and admirable unto him whenever he has the final say over my man in scripture went from lying to leaping in an immediate moment amen we'll pick up from there next week and we'll look a little bit at this message that Peter preached amen to those that were gathered that day amen because of this miracle can we bow our heads in this place thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.